Hello, everybody. My name is Jake McGrail, and alongside me is Corey Branson of CITR Sports, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the unceded grounds of the Musqueam people. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Always keep you up to date with the latest UBC Thunderbirds news, standings, and stories. And welcome to our final show of the 2018-2019 school year. I'm sad, Jake. It's a, it's a bittersweet moment for sure. Really, it is. We've had a great time hosting Thunderbird Eye just about every week over the last eight months, and we're going out with a special hour-long episode, our longest episode that we've ever done. We have plenty to cover. Baseball got back on track with the home series win. Softball was stymied by both their opponents and the elements. Golf dominated en route to a conference championship double, and our track athletes went up and down California for a bunch of meets. We will get to all of that, but the reason why this episode is an hour long is because we were finally able to land an interview with women's volleyball star Kira Van Rijk. I had the opportunity to sit down with her the other day, and she discussed her decision to come to UBC, her first two years with the Thunderbirds, and the beginnings of her national team career. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Kira Van Rijk. This is Jake McGrail of CITR Sports, and sitting across from me is the former U Sports Rookie of the Year, the current U Sports Player of the Year, and member of the 2018-2019 Women's Volleyball National Championship winning team, Kira Van Rijk. Thank you for coming on the show. No problem. So, why volleyball? <laughs> um, as a kid, I grew up playing multiple sports, from basketball to soccer to, I don't know, you name it. Um... And I grew up watching my sisters play. They both um, went through the same thing I went through, and I had to go watch their games and got dragged along, and I began to fall in love with the game. And, yeah, I'd have to go and watch um, as many tournaments as you can count on your hands. Every every weekend I was out there watching and playing with my, my dad on the side as much as I, can, I, I could. So, yeah, I just grew in love um with the game yeah obviously it's worked out (laughs) yes and what point did you think to yourself hey i've got a real shot to play this at a high level um there was a couple points where i had to decide between which sport i wanted to play so going into grade five or six i had to choose between three sports soccer softball and volleyball and at that point i thought i was better at soccer and volleyball than softball so and i love those both um and then grade, I'd say probably grade 10 was, uh, or grade 9 and 10 in between there, I started to realize that I, I had a gift for, for sports in general and in volleyball specifically. Um, that's when I started to get interest from coaches in Canada and some coaches in the U.S. So uh, around there, I'd say I started to have that idea that post-secondary was an option and then uh in the summer between grade 10 and 11 is when I I really grew my passion for I want to play on the national team um, as more of a goal coming from a dream from mm-hmm. when I was younger. So you were getting attention pretty early from different coaches. You were saying mm-hmm. like grade 9, grade 10? Yeah, well, I always played a year up. Uh, I always played for the, the age above me, so often I had coaches confused with how old I was so I had it with a couple uh, um, one school in specific um, who was talking to my mom while I was just practicing and he's like oh yeah she's in grade 10 right and my mom's like no she's actually in grade 9 and he was so confused but yeah it, it happens when 
you play with the girls above you. Mm-hmm. Well, you were pretty highly touted even in high school. For example, 2017, you were invited to a senior national team tryout. That's before you started university. Mm-hmm. How did you deal with that attention given that you're still 15, 16, 17 years old? Yeah, um, I, I've always been the younger one, so it's attention, but to me it's also just an honor to be recognized to, in that level. And um, I went into that just wanting to learn from the girls above me. I had no expectations, and I just wanted to work hard and do my best and um, just show what I was made of. And I wasn't 100% sure if I would make the team or not, and I didn't, which is which was totally fine to me. I was just so happy to go and, and watch these girls who have that experience of playing professionally and, and playing at the international level, and I wanted to learn from them and take what I've learned into my first year of university. Mm-hmm. And. When were you starting to get like official offers from different universities? Um, I would say grade ten. Um, I got a couple from Canada, um, and then I wasn't really showing a lot of interest in grade ten towards the U.S. Um, and then I started going to some tournaments in the U.S. with my club volleyball teams, and they saw. Um, from my grade 9 to grade 10 and then grade 10 to 11 they saw like such a big jump in my ability um so that's when I really got my biggest uh, amount of offers I'd say and interest was probably between grade 10 and 11 from the USA I mean you still got two more years of high school and that's happening so is that like were you thinking fully of university at that point were you more like I've got to focus just on continuing to improve and just finishing high school right now um a bit of both. I had a lot of pressure on me to make a decision from from the universities. Um, U.S. they commit fairly young, so I had a lot of uh, yeah pressure. Um, but from Canada, it was pretty good because you commit generally in grade eleven, I would say, to a university. So there wasn't quite as much pressure on me to make that decision from the Canadian coaches. But um, yeah, there was pressure from. Uh, my peers and parents asking and not my parents but other parents and coaches <laughs> and and just the whispers of oh she's going here oh, she's going there and I'd be in a different part of Canada or I'd be in a different part of BC and people like oh did you just commit and I'm like no I'm I'm just here just for with my family I'm I'm out for lunch or something and so there's a bit of uh, pressure there just wherever I went somebody saw me and they're like oh you committed and I'm like no I'm just trying to live my life so it's a balance of trying to figure out how how much volleyball can take of your life and yeah in high school that's when you are considered one of the better ones in bc and in in canada you you want to be focusing on volleyball but you also want to be able to separate it and i think that was an important part of my um development in volleyball so you're a surrey native Mm -hmm. and you decided to stay in the province by coming here to ubc so why'd you choose to come here of all the places yeah um I knew that if I wanted to stay in Canada, I wanted to stay in BC. Um, I wasn't sure if I would want to go across um, all the way to the east or anything like that. And I knew Canada West is a fairly strong conference for uh, women's volleyball. Um, So I knew that I wanted to stay in BC. And um, there was interest from a couple, most schools in BC, but... 
uh, overall, I think UBC was the best choice for me. I, I love the big atmosphere, and I love having so many students around. And I went to a small Christian school, um, high school, so being able to come to a bigger school and experience something like this is is super cool. And, and um, UBC is such a well-known university and has such great education, and, yeah, my coaches are great, and, yeah, there's a lot of good things to offer here, so... Yeah. Was it an easy decision? Or is it something you really mulled over for a long time? Not an easy decision. Uh, yeah, like I said, I had offers from grade 10. So it was a three-year decision for me. I decided in October of my grade 12 year, so actually fairly late. Um, I I had a lot of hard conversations with friends and family and, and coaches and um Overall, yeah, it came down to a week of fully feeling like UBC was the place for me, and and before that, it had been flipping between schools and schools, and all of a sudden, it was, no, I'm going to UBC, and I, I knew it was UBC at that point. So the Thunderbirds won the national championship the year before you arrived, but they did lose their top three offensive weapons that offseason in terms of kill count. You stepped in, immediately became the number one option on offense. So what was that transition like? Yeah, um, yeah, I was always um, kind of that player going in high school and in club. And when I played on the junior national team, I I usually was the big hitter. So it was something comfortable, like it was in my comfort zone um, to be that go-to hitter. But coming to university, it is such a, a, a big step, and it is a big shoes to fill when you're filling in Danny. Um, Danny Breezebaugh's shoes. She's an amazing player, and she's a heavy hitter. So coming in, knowing that you have had players like Danny um, before you, you do have those shoes to fill. And um, that was on my mind at one point, but at, at the same time, it was also like I, I knew that Doug had the trust in me and my teammates had the trust in me, and I was a rookie, so I, I it, you can still make mistakes. Um, I say can, but like realistically, you don't want to, but... <laughs> Yeah, you're young, so um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I love being in that position. I love being um, the go-to player, and I love those pressure points, and I love I love that national uh, quarterfinal that we had this year, where it was 14-14 in the fifth set, and those are my times to shine, and I love 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 that pressure, and that's just where I thrive. What was your biggest challenge in your uh, rookie year here at UBC? Uh, biggest challenge, I would say, would be adjusting to um, university type of schooling and the higher expectations on you to perform at a high level every single day, including school and workout and video and, and being on top of your game at all times. And yeah, I'd say that's hard when you're coming in not knowing what to expect and not knowing where you fit and so there's a lot of different levels to figure out when you are a rookie on a team and I think it's under uh, uh, underappreciated by many people who don't play the sports is how much you actually have to go through within those fir that first semester especially is just so much to figure out and when you can when you can go to work out when you can study and when you need to when you actually need to sleep and when you need to Tell talk to your profs about not possibly not being there for an exam and then trying to write on the road and there's a lot going into your first year and definitely it's helpful once you've gone through it and in your second year it gets a lot a lot a lot easier. Was there anything or anyone in particular that helped you through all that? Um, yeah, I'd say 
there's a couple people. Obviously, my coaches were great at that, and um, a couple friends on the team. But I also really appreciate my friends out of university and uh, um, who don't go to UBC. And I have a friend that plays softball in Douglas, and I have a girl, um, one of my close friends, that's in Edmonton that doesn't play sports. So being able to see uh, life from a different view, I think, was very helpful for me. So you had you had a very good season last year. You're the first player in program history to win both Canada West and U Sports Rookie of the Year. And as a team, you play second in Canada West. You won the National Bronze Medal. What was it like playing in Quebec at the Final Eight in just your first year? Yeah, um, I think up to that point, um, playing at the National Championships, I think that was one of my best tournaments up to that point. Um, I... Yeah, like I said, I love the pressure points, and I love I love playing in those high-intensity games, and I think those are the games I thrive in. So I I really took advantage of, of that atmosphere, and I, I took the support from the girls around me, and I had nothing to lose in that game, and I was the rookie, and I, I knew that I had the rookie of the year on my back, but I, I don't really take that to heart so much as uh, as a team I think uh, the most important thing for me is knowing that it's not such an individual goal but it's like the teammates backing me and and supporting me to be, be able to help me thrive so knowing that and helping and trusting and just having respect for the girls around me and the and the teammate we're teams that we are playing so and after that tournament that summer, last summer, you were selected to represent Canada at the 2018 World Women's Volleyball Championships in Japan. Mm-hmm. Is that your first time playing with the senior national team? Yes, last summer. Um, yeah, it was. How were how were you selected, or how did you find out that you'd been selected? Um, so I had signed up for the tryouts, and um, I went again for the second year, um, knowing what to expect this time, and having had the first year under my belt, uh, I had learned so much, and I had improved so much, um, and yeah, I just tried out, and I did my best, and I actually got accepted to the team as a practice player originally, um, and then started working, and the coach started supporting um me and giving me feedback and being the youngest again I just wanted to learn and thrive and do my best and he saw the work that I was putting in and how much I was learning and he decided to take me to um, Pan Am Cup which is our first the first tournament I had played in and we actually got bronze for the first time in I don't even know how many years now but since I think early 2000s so it was the first medal that we'd gotten in a while and yeah he saw the the growth I had and continuing to put into me heading into those tryouts were you confident that you were going to make the team um confident in making the team I I didn't know for sure, but I, I figured that I could be on the cusp of making the team. I figured that they already had a bunch of players that they had from the year before, but I figured that I could I could give a couple girls a run for um, their money. But, um, yeah, I wasn't 100% sure, but I wanted to try and, and see if I could make it, and I did, and they saw my work effort, um, how much I wanted to learn, so, yeah. You were 19 at the time. That was over two years younger than the next youngest player on the team. But at the World Championships, you were top two on the team in scoring in four of the five games you played. So was it like, what was it like playing with an older team, some members being seasoned professionals and having that big of a role? Mm-hmm. Um, at first, it was a little bit... Uh, 
interesting to me uh, playing with girls who were at least 10 years older than me. Um, but once you get used to that, you just become so close to them and you um, they gain such a big trust in you and you gain a trust in them. And um, yeah, I, I think I really respect them and they once they saw how much I was willing to work, they started to respect me and trust in me. And and I think it showed in, in the fact that they were willing to give the ball in, uh, to a 19-year-old in, in the World Championships, um, which I've never done before. And I had barely played in any international tournament. So I really respect those players. And I appreciate that they, they had the trust in me to, to give me the ball and, and let me go out there and swing away and play and... Yeah, I, I think it was a super cool experience, and um, I look forward to doing it again this year. Now, unfortunately, Canada was eliminated in the first round of the championships with a one in four record. But overall, what did you take from the experience of the tournament, despite mm-hmm. obviously not winning as much as you would have hoped? Um, yeah, exactly. Like you said, we we had hoped to win a couple more games and make it a little bit further. Um, we lost a tough game on the last day. We. we that was our need to win game, and uh, we actually had an injury. Our setter got, uh, went down in, I think, the second set, so that wasn't what we were expecting, but we, we tried to rally, and overall, Bulgaria was the better team, and they, they played they played better on that day than we did. Um, but I think for me, I, I, I took out of it is that no matter how much experience you have and how much how good your team is. No, You can go out and you can still give a team like China a fight. And I think that was one of our best games as Canada, even though they, they had won the Olympics uh, a couple of years before that. We went out there and we were just willing to go and, and swing away and go and represent our country. And I think that really showed. And I think we we surprised China in that first set and we took them pretty close. I think it was 25-22 or 23. So it was a pretty close game. And I think... Um, that tournament overall for Canada um, was huge, and I think the world kind of uh, got the idea that we're not sitting back and we're going to keep working and we're getting better and we're going to give some of these time teams a fight for their for their spot in the Olympics, and that's really what we're going for. And yeah, I think it's we're on the up as as a women's national team in Canada, and I, I'm excited to see where we can go. So you left the. You left Japan with your heads held high, despite going one and four. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it's a huge disappointment. We wanted to get to that second round and and see what we could do. But I think, for me personally, um, I think we learned so much. And I think, um, as a nation, as like a women's national team, I think we can learn from those losses and and that defeat. And thinking that we we had the chance to get to that second round, and we know it. So obviously, yeah, it's a disappointment not to get there. But I think I personally learned a lot, and I, I'm sure other girls did. So I think we left knowing that we have a chance the next time. Yeah, as you alluded to just a little bit ago, the next big goal for the national team is to qualify for the Olympics, which Canada, the women's side, has not done since 1996. Yeah. So how do you feel about Canada's chances at making a run at the 2020 tournament? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, we played in, in Pan Am Cup a couple um, and won that bronze medal. And in our pool, we had the, the Dominican Republic and we ended up beating them. So and that hadn't happened for many years as well. And they're generally one of the teams that we have to beat to get into the Olympics. Um so knowing that and, and seeing that we could do it and we did it pretty handily, um, 
just trusting in our our training and our team and and what we've been through i i think we have a chance and i think if we keep working at it and keep trusting in in our teammates in our coaches and and in what we're doing i think we definitely have a chance to get there so bringing it back to ubc and the thunderbirds and this past season it was a pretty similar team to the previous year. Obviously, some changes. You're always going to have some important players leave, although one, Samantha Paco, did come back partway into this season. So heading into the year, how were you feeling or what were you expecting? Um, I mean, it was similar, but also very, very different. We did have nine rookies, mm-hmm. true, uh, seven true rookies, but two transfers, so it, it was a pretty fresh team. Um, we started pretty rocky, and we didn't really have an identity, and and like like you said, um, Sam Paco came back, and she was a huge part of our, our success this year, and uh, just having that experience on the court, and same with Kira Hanley, she... Um, went on a, a school exchange which was Doug which Doug was very gracious to let her do and um yeah I think it's great having the seniors on the team and I think we're going to be missing them next year for sure but um yeah I think it just goes to show that um our losses early on were the divi- diversity that that a team goes through um at the highest level they go through these these laws and I think it's it's important to take losses um, as a positive sometimes and to learn from those. And I think that's what we did this year is we were losing to teams that maybe on on the stat line and all the stuff we shouldn't have been in on paper. We shouldn't have been losing to. But I think overall we we knew that, okay, we've lost this game. Now we need to go into the gym and work harder and figure out why and, and learn from our mistakes and watch video and be like okay that didn't work so what's going to work and I think that's kind of what um, our success came to in the end was our losses and our diversity that we've been through in the past two years I think overall has brought us to that had brought us to that championship and yeah there's diversity that a team has and for example to um, last year two girls on our team uh, had to have surgery on their knee and a rookie mm-hmm. came in this year having had just had surgery on her knee as well so we had three girls recovering and so that's the type of diversity that we faced and and those losses and and obviously other things so i think it's important as as athletes and and as as people um living in quote unquote the real world i think learning from diversity is important and not not taking those downs as oh, it's a wreck now, but taking it as, okay, this is something you can learn from and be better from in the end. It seems a bit crazy to think back on considering that you ended up winning the national championship, but you guys got off to a pretty slow start. You started the season with three straight losses. You were three and five after four weeks. So what do you think caused that? Um, Yeah, I guess I kind of touched a little bit on that, but I think... um, Personally, for me, I, I I wasn't there for preseason. I came in a week before our first game, um, and we had U of A the first game, and they came third at Nationals, and so we had a tough first game. So those two games are, are always fun to play but hard to play because it's your first real game of the season, and it's against one of the best in the country. And then we played Thompson Rivers the next weekend, and, yeah, they came out strong. And I think any time UBC walks into the gym, they bring their – any other team brings their best. And, and I think uh, one thing for us was learning that we can't just walk into a gym thinking we're going to win. We have to respect everyone. And um, 
know that everyone's going to give their best and that we have to give our best to win too. Uh, and was there any uneasiness, any anger or whatever within the team after that slow start? I think it was a little bit of frustration, if anything, just why are we losing? But I think what um, what you need to look at is is our turnaround from TRU game one to TRU um game two and and if you look we lost the first game but the second game we came out and we swept them and and we played like a team and I think that was a good learning um, experience for us is is being like having that loss um, to TRU a team that generally gives us a push but we can usually take the win from them Um, they are a good team so I think we had to that is where we started to learn that respect for the other team and and trusting in each other and not um, just trying to do it all on your own. I think we really had to come together as a team and take the win. Um, everyone had to do their job to get that win, I think. Well, you did turn it around, as you mentioned. You won 12 of your next 14 after the 3-5 and five start, but you were humbled by Calgary to mm-hmm. end the Canada West play. They beat you twice to end the regular season. They beat you twice again in the Canada West semifinals. Won the four matches by a combined score of 12 to 3. So, what effect did those losses have on the team? Um, yeah, exactly. They they are a very very good team, and um, yeah, I think having those losses right before a national championship and right before such a big tournament and the end goal of where you you're wanting to be, I think it can be very detrimental to teams. But I think. Um, we went into that Calgary uh, semifinal, um, Canada West semifinal, and I think we um, we thought we could win it, and we went in and we ended up losing, which which happens. And I think um, we came out of that a little disappointed, but also coming out of that being like, okay, like they took us now, but we're gonna take them at nationals. And um, we we came out the, of the game thinking, okay, now we've know we know them so so well, and they know us very well, but. Even if we do play them at national championships, I think it'll be a fight. And I, we knew any team that we played would be a fight. So I think that was a game kind of humbling us before the national championship, saying, no, like any gym you walk into, some that person can beat you. That team can beat you. So you have to work your butt off and you have to keep working and working and you can't just let up at any moment. And I think we really did that in the national championship. So maybe the... Calgary ended up helping you out a little bit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You did you uh, did go on a pretty crazy run at the National Championship tournament because you entered as the 8th seed of out of the 8 teams. You beat number 1 seed Trinity Western 3 to 2 in the quarterfinals. Each set was de- decided by just 2 points in that match. You then beat Dalhousie in the semifinals, fell behind 2 nothing against Ryerson <laughs> in the final only to come back and win it with three straight sets. How did you guys manage to pull all that off? Yeah, exactly. Um, it was a fight, and it was it was a battle. Um, I think what was important for us is one of the words that we came up with um, as a team halfway through the season is is resilience, and I think that really defines our team. And we um, Trinity is always a fun game for us to play. I think on both sides, it's a, it's a big rival. Them only being an hour away from UBC, but. Um, it's always a good game when we play them, so we knew that going in, and we knew we had to fight. And um, they, They're an amazing team, and they were number one, so we, we, we were the underdogs, and we had that advantage of we just wanted to go out there and do our best and win. And um, 
Yeah, Dalhousie. We we actually played them in the quarterfinal last year um, in Montreal, and uh, they they took us to five sets. So we knew we had to go into that game thinking, no, like we can't take them lightly. They are a very good team and they have good players. So every game we had to go in um, expecting a fight, and I think we did that in the first two games, especially. And then Ryerson, yeah, I think. That one as well. We um, it is such a long season, so we were tired. But also, I don't I don't think that was the factor. I think Ryerson came out fighting, and they played really really well in the first two sets. And 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 I think in the in the beginning of that for, uh, that third set, I think we came out just saying there's nothing to lose here, and um, we have the advantage almost, um, and that we can just go for it. And no matter no matter what they have everything to lose they're up to but if we beat them in one set there we knew that we could shake them a bit and and chip away at that confidence and I think we really did that and I think um yeah once we took that third set um we knew we had the game we had the confidence we had the momentum and and we had the trust in each other and uh, we just kept on going and I think going through those losses really helped because we had to go through that TRU game that loss that first night lost and that's kind of almost what happened in our game is we lost that first two sets so the first night and then we won the second the second night which could be seen as the third the third fourth and fifth and I think we just came out fighting what was the feeling in your guys's huddle after that second set against Ryerson because Ryerson they'd won the semis and their quarters mm-hmm. three nothing mm-hmm. six straight heading into the final they win the first two in the final so how was how, what was the atmosphere like within the team uh I think within the team um it wasn't bad it was actually pretty good I think once uh we realized that we were down two um we're kind of like okay well that just happened but they're not they don't know what's coming at them now and I think I was really impressed with our team and with everyone on the team and I think nobody lost faith in each other and um yeah I think maybe the fans kind of thought oh this is gonna be a quick one but I think we all knew in our heart that we were gonna take the game and we knew that we were gonna go out and we were gonna give them a run for the money and yeah I think there was a change almost from there was no fear we were just like we were just going to go after and we knew that we could take the game from them and for you personally it was quite literally a season for the record books you had 398 kills in Canada West play that was the fourth highest single season total ever for Mm -hmm. the conference and you had 68 aces which is the second highest total ever for the conference you were just named U Sports Player of the Year National Championship Tournament MVP and you were just named a finalist for Canada West Female Athlete of the Year to what do you credit credit all of this success wow yeah um like i said earlier i think i think it goes to show all all of the people i've worked with and it, it goes to show the support that i have from my team and my coaches and and to go way back into um all the sports i've played and all the coaches that i've had uh each year has worked up to this and each coach has given me something to um build that ability and to be able to perform at the level that I do I think I can't just credit myself for this I I I have put the work in but I also have so many coaches who have put that work in and my parents and my friends and my family and the the support from everyone around me I think has brought me to where I am at and I I I couldn't have done it with any without and every single one of them now looking ahead to next year do you have any specific goals for next season besides the obvious win the championship again yeah i mean 
obviously we want that gold medal again. We want to get it a double uh, in a row. Um, personally, I think I want to continue to work on my my leadership role and um, perfecting some of my um, my weaker skills. Um, I think my biggest thing would be leadership um, going into third year. Um, even being in second year this year, I had um, we had so many rookies and they look up to all of us. And I think we also look up to them as rookies and having so much faith in the process. And I think for me, I really want to be, be a good leader and I want to be able to show my team um, what it is like to be an elite athlete and how to how to go through that but also support them through that knowing that everyone has a different story and everyone has has different troubles in their life and being able to be be there for my team I think is something I really want to work on do you see yourself as more of a vocal leader more of a lead by example somewhere in between um I would say somewhere in between I mean the obvious one is my skill um leading by example and taking taking the kills and and being that go-to I think is is a a type of leader but I think the one um leadership role that I want to work on is is that vocal and is that support and the emotional um side of the game and I think that's where I'm lacking right now in my leadership skills and I think I really want to work on on that and having um the ability to help my team when when we are in those rocky patches when we are losing those three games straight and and being able to find a way to help um emotionally not just um with my skill and how are you gonna go about working on improving that because if it's something like i want to improve my serving you can work on that in the summer but how do you go about improving that sort of i guess more intangibles Mm -hmm. um i think learning from hopefully this summer from the older girls and um asking questions to them and um learning from them and also um from my coach doug he he has so much experience in this game and being able to talk to him about it and um yeah just learning from the girls around me and and seeing what what they need and every team is going to be different so so figuring out the team as early as i can and and seeing how how people thrive or where people thrive or what people need to thrive and I think learning through that and all, um, also just just having a different type of role on the team I think in the past two years I've been the younger girl on the team and going into third year I think I will be one of the girls that that will be looked to on the emotional side so that's something that I'll be forced into but also something I'm accepting and um, yeah growing older obviously you learn more and more so I think just with um, age and experience, I think, is what I'm going to rely on, and, and obviously my coach. Well, that's all the questions I have for you. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Uh, no, I think, uh, I think you've covered a lot of it, yeah. Okay. Well, th- once again, this is Jake McGrail of CITR Sports with Kira Van Rijk of UBC Women's Volleyball. Thank you again for coming on the show, and good luck next season and this summer with Team Canada. Thank you. And we're back. As you just heard, that was Kira Van Rijk of the women's volleyball team speaking with our own Jake McGrail. And as one final note, we'd just like to mention that yesterday Van Rijk was named the Canada West Female Athlete of the Year. She just keeps winning everything. Indeed. We've said it we said it about a hundred times on this show, but we'll say it again. Congratulations. <laughs> Fantastic season, Kira. We are gonna take a quick break now for ads and PSAs, and then we'll be right back with our other Thunderbirds news of the week. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. 
Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. thirsty and I don't drink wine I was desperate I needed blood I turned to the only place I could the only place that could possibly help me hello Canadian blood services hello I need some blood Positive or negative, it doesn't matter. I'm sorry, we're all out of A positive and negative. Would you like some O instead? No. No, that won't do. Thank you. Good night. Save me. Save yourself. Give blood voluntarily. This message was brought to you courtesy of the Canadian Blood Services and CITR Radio 101.9 FM. All right, back we are now talking about softball, first of all. So the softball team unable to get back on track this past weekend, unfortunately, as they took their lumps from Carroll College on Friday while Mother Nature jumped in, ruined their chance at exacting revenge on Saturday. Yeah, game one, first game of the first doubleheader. That was a 6-1 to one loss. Uh, UBC was beat by the power game. Five of Carroll's six runs came from home runs, two-run home run in the second and fourth innings, and then also a solo shot later in the fourth. Now, the Thunderbirds were able to get eight hits of their own. Not bad. Yeah, that's that's pretty solid, but they left at least one runner on base in all but one inning. That's a little bit worse. That's bad. Their only run came in the fifth when Mia Valk hit a single that brought home Shailen Ogilvie. As another unfortunate performance from pitcher Shelby Kempel. She was very good at the start of the season, but has struggled as of late. They have been playing some very good teams, but also this was her fifth straight game giving up double-digit hits. She only did that twice in her first 18 appearances, but the hits have just been racking up, not on the UBC side as of late. Yeah, definitely a bit of a slump for her. Well, hopefully she'll be able to get back on track sooner rather than later. Game two was a bit closer, but it was the same end result as the Thunderbirds fell 6-3. to three. They limited the Fighting Saints to half as many hits as they had in game one, so, the, so they only had eight this time around. But unfortunately, the same thing happened to the T-Birds as well. They had only four hits. Yeah, game, it did start off well. Claire Eccles of uh, CITR Sports Interview fame hit a home run in the third to take a 2 nothing lead. Carol stormed back with a, guess what, home runs. Yep. There was a grand slam from Tiana Sell in the fourth inning, and then a two-run shot from Allison Williams in the fifth. A grand slam. Like, yeah. Are you serious? I'll congratulate her. She's not a Thunderbird, but well done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the home runs was even crazier because the Thunderbirds, they gave up five home runs on f- just Friday in the in that doubleheader. And in 21 conference games before that day, they'd given up nine home runs all season. That's a little bit crazy. I'm I'm not sure what happened there. Yeah, well, pitching sounds like it's been a little bit of a, a letdown. 
so far in those games. In between those two home runs, Sierra Sherritt scored one more run for UBC off a of fielder's choice ground out from Michaela Moore. Sherritt did hit two for three, accounting for half of the Thunderbirds' hits and two-thirds of their runs. I mean, usually when one player's accounting for that high of a percentage of your hits or runs, it's probably not a good sign unless yeah. they're like six for six or something. But yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how often that happens. And with only four runs across the full doubleheader, four runs in those two games combined, this was the Thunderbirds' third lowest scoring single day of the entire season. It was only ahead of their two doubleheaders against College of Idaho, March 22nd and 23rd, when they had zero and three runs. That was really the, the darkest weekend of the season <laughs> for this women's uh, softball yeah, let's, team. Let's not talk about it for too much longer. <laughs> okay, moving on, moving on. Yeah, part of the reason why the Thunderbirds' offense dried up was because of a tough day for Cassa Courtney. The junior outfielder had been on fire coming into the series in her previous 12 games. She hit 378, 17 RBIs, 7 runs scored. Those are great stats. But she hit just 1 for 5 with a walk and no RBIs or runs over the two games. I mean, still not completely terrible. You're still getting on base 2 out of 6 times, but just by her standards, that's a pretty poor performance. If you're depending on somebody that much for offensive production, it can be tough to pick Mm -hmm. pick up the slack. Now, there was good news on the second day. That good news that the Thunderbirds started off the second doubleheader on Saturday. Started off great. Three runs in the first inning of Game 3. And then the bad news is, started raining super hard. And the entire doubleheader was called off due to rain. Yeah. So that was it for the series. Yeah. They only played two games. They lost both. You can't that's, beat Mother that's Nature. Rough. <laughs> that's rough. <laughs> the Thunderbirds are now 8-15 and 15 in conference play. And clinging to the sixth and final CCC playoff spot. Just one game ahead of Eastern Oregon and Providence. They have just one more series to go, a home clash with Corbin, who are 16-8 and and have clinched their place in the postseason. Both Eastern Oregon and Providence are also playing playoff teams this weekend, so whoever gets the final playoff spot will have definitely earned it. It's going to be a dogfight for that uh, that final playoff spot. Definitely. You know what else is going to be a dogfight? What? Trying to find affordable sports gear and activewear. I know, it really is. It really is. But if you're in the market for that, you should really check out our friends at Cheapskates down at 16th and Dunbar. Patrick, he's an ex-Thunderbird receiver. He's really cool, and he's in charge down there. They're Vancouver's oldest sporting goods consignment store, and they both buy and sell used equipment at great prices. Check them out on their website at CheapskatesVancouver.com or on Twitter at CheapskatesVan, or you can just walk down to their store at 3644 West 16th Avenue. Now, moving on to baseball, they've unfortunately cooled off in recent weeks after that fantastic start early in the season. They have had great pitching throughout, but the batting has been more up and down. They won just two of their first seven games to open the month of April. That was against uh, Lewis Clark State and Corbin. But this past weekend saw one of the finest pitching performances in school history. That was in game one. And overall, UBC took three of four games against Oregon Tech to clinch a playoff spot. But Corey... Let us in on what Niall Windler of CITR Sports interview fame (laughs) did (laughs) to Oregon Tech in game one. Yeah, so he dominated the Hustlin' Owls. I love that team name, by the way. All of the batters for that school. He needed 106 pitches to no-hit Oregon Tech with 10 strikeouts and no walks. Windler nearly threw a perfect game as a single Hustlin' Owl reached on an error. That's that's pretty... 
pretty sad that it ends not in like a walk yeah an error but what can you do i'm sure he's perfectly happy with the with the performance yeah no i wouldn't complain too much this was the fifth no hitter in ubc history and the first to go nine innings yeah and at the plate jackson valk he had a two-run double in the fifth to break the deadlock give windler some run support valk hit another rbi in the seventh immediately after mike fitzsimmons hit an RBI of his own to plate Nolan Weger, and Weger picked up some RBIs of his own with a two-run home run in the eighth and uh, got Windler all the run support he needed. Turns out he didn't really need much. No, yeah, one run would have done it. This was the Thunderbirds' fourth shutout in conference play and their second in as many weeks. It was also their second against Oregon Tech this season. If only we could just play them every week, I guess. The second game of the series, James Bradwell was on the mound for the Thunderbirds. He gave up a first-inning run as Mika Zhao of the Hustlin' Owls hit a leadoff triple before scoring on a wild pitch. Bradwell then recovered and tossed four straight scoreless innings. Thunderbirds took the lead as Jordan Dre scored Valk on a single before coming around to score on a single from Austin Butler. Yeah, Bradwell gave up a two-run shot in the top of the sixth, but the Thunderbirds responded with a long bomb of their own in the home half of the inning. To restore the lead, Barry Kane came in for the save as the Thunderbirds took a 4-3 win. A lot of home runs for both softball and baseball this past weekend. Power was on point. Dre, he had a fantastic game, hit 3-4 for with three RBIs and two runs, including hitting that UBC home run in the sixth inning. Game three turned out to be a pitcher's duel with rookie Garrett Hawkins throwing seven strong innings, striking out four and allowing just two to score. Unfortunately for the Birds, Tech's pitching was even better. Logan Nelson held UBC hitless through five and scoreless through nine as the Hustlin' Owls had RBI singles in the sixth and seventh innings en route to a 2-0 victory. And that donut on the side of the scoreboard for the Thunderbirds, that's not a very common sight. This was the first time in conference play the Thunderbirds were shut out this season. And the first time they failed to record a run in any game since all the way back on February 9th against Westmont College. They've gone just about two and a half months without getting shut out, but... Fortunately, it happened this game. Yeah, it's. I feel like it's bound to happen eventually. Two and a half months ain't bad. It's pretty impressive. We'll take it. Daniel Serrata got the ball for the Birds to start the fourth game of the weekend, throwing four shutout innings. At the plate, Austin Butler brought home Dre with a single, stole third, and then came home on a Fitzsimmons bunt. Oregon scored off a wild pitch in the fifth, but two more home runs from Dre and Ty Penner in the sixth and seventh sealed the 6-1 victory for UBC. Yeah, very big weekend for Jordan Dre. He now has six home runs on the season. That's tied for third in NAIA West with Valk and two players from Lewis Clark State. Thunderbirds also have five, uh, not five players, four players in the top nine for slugging percentage in the division. That's Valk, Dre, Weger, and Brandon Hupe. A lot of power on this Thunderbirds lineup. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, if you got hitting like that and pitching like that, what we saw from Windler, that's a pretty good formula. They're a playoff team. Yeah. And that's official, as with those wins, Thunderbirds, they clinched a playoff appearance. They'll be at the California Pacific Tournament, and if they do well there, they can book their ticket to the NAIA World Series. The Birds, they also took on NCAA Division One Seattle University in an exhibition match on Tuesday, put in a very strong performance, losing 2-1 in 10 innings, definitely uh, showed out. In that game against very tough opposition, they return to conference play this weekend when they visit the College of Idaho. And unfortunately, we hate to break it to you, but it looks like Lewis and Clark State will win NAIA, NAIA West once again as they are 2.5 games ahead of the Thunderbirds with just one week left in the regular season. They can't keep getting away with this. We'll catch them eventually. I have faith. <laughs> one of these years. 
Next, we're going to move on to golf. The men's and women's teams, fresh off their victories at the Corbin Invitational two weeks ago, arrived at the Pronghorn Resort in Bend, Oregon, filled with confidence for the CCC Championships. And with good reason. Yes. They, both of them, uh, especially the women's, very good season. Yes, and they delivered. Both squads crushed the competition in the team event with the women charging past rivals Oregon Tech by 23 strokes, plus 43 to plus 66, and the men dominating even more, finishing 53 shots ahead of Corbin, minus 12 to plus 41. Can, can you repeat that again? How much How much did they win by? 53 shots. Over the second place team. Over the second place team. It was like 250 shots over the eighth place team. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Individually, Andrew Harrison finished a shot ahead of teammate Ethan DeGraff to clinch the title for the T-Birds, while it was the other Lee, Avril that is, who took home gold for the women and completed the clean sweep. Yeah, on the men's side, Harrison was tied with Mason Tibbs of Oregon Tech uh, after two rounds. They shot identical rounds of 69 in the first and 70 in the second to go into the final round tie for the lead. Tibbs, he struggled in the third round. Harrison, he did not struggle, hit a one under 71 to finish Minus six at the event and alone in first place. Besides Harrison and DeGraff, two Thunderbirds finished in tied fourth place at even par. Logan Carver and Zahadali Nathu. That meant there were four Thunderbirds in the top five, joining Tibbs with Ziggy, also posting low round of the tournament with a minus 666 in round three. That's pretty dang impressive right there, having your four players in the top five of every single golfer at the tournament. Yeah. It was a bit tougher for the women, but that didn't stop the Thunderbirds from peppering the top 10 with their individual scores. Avril Lee shot a tournament best 73 in the first round. She held a four-stroke lead at the midway point over Oregon Tech's Aaron Song and Corbin's Casey Jansen. Lee stumbled a bit in the in the second half of the uh, of the tournament with a plus 779 in round two, but her plus eight final tally was enough to give her a one-stroke win over... Esther Lee, no surprises there. Of CITR Sports interview fame. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Esther Lee was her closest competitor. She had a day day 275, that was the best round of the day, that leapfrogged her over Song and Jansen, who both struggled a bit, so Esther was able to claim silver. Kate Johnston's 11-over finish meant a podium sweep for the birds, while Shania Romandaban took 6th and Cecile Kwan 10th. We almost had another 4 in the top 5 there. Remind I mean, a uh, podium th- uh, sweep, a 1-2-3, might be just as impressive as yeah. 4 in the top 5. That's pretty crazy. And the Thunderbirds, as expected, given how dominant they were in CCC play, cleaned up at the end-of-season awards. Harrison and Esther Lee were named the two CCC players of the year, while DeGraff, Carver, and Matthew on the men's side, and Kwan. Ramandaban and Johnston on the women's side were all also named to CCC All-Star teams. And not to be outdone by his players, Chris McDonald took home both men's and women's coach of the year. Just yeah. winning everything possible. That was It was really phenomenal. phenomenal Incredible season for honestly. both men's and women's golf. Yeah. And now the CCC season is over, but both teams did earn berths in the NAIA championships happening in mid-May by virtue of their victories this past week. The women play at the Lincoln Park Golf Course in Oklahoma City from May 14th to 17th, while the men head to Las Sendas Golf Club in Mesa, Arizona for their event May 21st to 24th. Now the competition will this for this will definitely be far tougher, but momentum is certainly on UBC's side after a couple of historic seasons. Yep. We're going to have to take a quick break for some ads and PSAs now. Crazy. Two breaks in one show. That's what happens when you're an hour long. <laughs> we'll, be, uh, we'll be right back talking about track and then wrapping up our final show of the school year.
Want to know what's up at UBC? Read the UBC. It's only the largest student newspaper in Western Canada, and it's written and edited entirely by UBC students. The UBC is your source for on-campus news, culture, and sports. New editions come out every Monday and Thursday. For breaking news as well as amazing videos and blogs, check out ubc.ca. Is school stressing and is campus safety concerning you? Join UBC Tai Chi Club to de-stress and learn self-defense. Simply search UBC Tai Chi Club on Facebook to receive notifications about our lessons. See you there. Hello and welcome back to Thunderbird Eye. There was lots of track action for UBC around Southern California. Thunderbirds were able to escape the rain, enjoy some sunshine, and over the course of last week, the Thunderbirds took place in four events up and down California. I assume not everyone competed in all four, but that's still (laughs) just a lot happening. The flurry of track events included the CSU Los Angeles Twilight Open, the Azusa Pacific Brian Clay Invitational, the Mount Sac uh, Relays, the long and the Long Beach State Invitational. Yeah, so prepare for some names out there because that's what we got. A lot of names, a lot of places. That's that's what our track recaps are. Yeah, so in the CSU LA Twilight Open, it was time for the Burley Track and Field events of Javelin and Hammer Throw. Coming in first and second, respectively, in Javelin were JV Patrick Smith and Giovanna Janes, while Rowan Hamilton grabbed second in the men's Hammer Throw, and Avery Lux took fourth. Lastly, Sean Griffiths came out on top of his two-person heat in men's javelin to grab the title. At the Azusa Invitational, uh, notable Thunderbird finishes include Kenneth Schultza and Bogdan Pavel placing 17th and 20th in the men's 110-meter hurdles, Trinity Hansma tied for 8th in the women's high jump, Catherine Lucas 16th in the women's 100-meter dash, Sienna Lalonde uh, 16th in the women's 400-meter hurdles, the 16th place trend continued with Tanner Geary in the men's 1500 meter, while Michaela Tinkham came first in the women's 1500 meter with a time of 4 minutes 29.45 seconds. The Mount Sac relays that was based around long runs, and the results were strong for UBC. Enid Al placed fourth in the women's 10,000 meter, while Kieran Lum placed ninth for the men's 1500 meter. And then to finish up this crazy California road trip, some notable. Notable moments from Long Beach for UBC were when Sarah MacArthur won the women's 5,000-meter race, uh, second-place finish in the men's 5,000-meter for Tyler Dozy. Max Trummer finished sixth in the men's 1,500-meter run. Kenneth Schultz grabbed ninth in the men's 110-meter hurdles. Michaela Tinkham, sixth in the women's 800-meter hurdles. Rice Kramer, tenth in the men's 800-meter hurdles. And last but not least, Trinity Hansma, sixth in high jump. Got your breath there, Jake. Whew. That was a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot. Next up for UBC Track and Field is the Oregon State High Performance Meet, which takes place on April 26th and 27th. And that's about all we have to cover for sports this past week. Looking ahead to next week, we got some more action from the track and field area. They'll be performing, as we said, at the Oregon State High Performance and then at the Western Washington Ralph Vernacchia Meet in Bellingham. Softball will be playing Corbin, as we mentioned. Baseball is playing the College of Idaho. Both of those games will be in BC. The men's rugby team also has a game against the UBCOB Ravens. That is the BC Rugby Premier League semifinal. That is coming up on Saturday. Well, with that, 
Thank you for tuning in to Thunder or Die on CITR 11.9. Besides listening to us on CITR Radio, the best way to keep up to date with UBC Thunderbirds news, standings, and stories is to follow us on all the social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at CITR Sports. And we're now on iTunes, so you can download us there and listen to us uh, on the Apple Network. Yeah, if you miss us over the summer, you can just re-listen to all of our episodes. Yeah, we have we have so much content, like it's, over 25 hours of episodes. It's it's happening over here at uh, Thunderbird Eye. And as mentioned, this was our final episode of the school year. We will be going into a little bit of a hibernation over summer break. We're not going to be putting our voices out on the airways for a few months, and we're going to be less active on social media. But we will be back in September and potentially a little bit earlier than that. We'll see, but when we do come back, it will be stronger than ever. Continue to check out YouTube as there are two more videos to be uploaded in the coming weeks, including the translation of our earlier Jonah Morrison interview from last week. We're still working on the transcription. Hopefully that will be finished soon and be able to share with all of you. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add, Corey, before we head out of here? It's been a great year. I've really enjoyed working in the booth. I've really enjoyed covering all the awesome stuff that the Thunderbirds athletes have been pulling out. This has been great. I mean, seeing the women win the national championship in volleyball, seeing the swimming championships, seeing the successes right now in golf, which is my favorite sport to cover. It's been a great time. Yeah, we're uh, we're very happy to have gotten you on board this year. Otherwise, I would have just been here the last couple of weeks talking to myself. I'm <laughs> not sure how that would have worked out. You have a beautiful voice, Jake. I'm oh, sure they would have loved it. Thank you. Well, for the final time, next up on 101.9 FM is the Arts Report for Thunderbird Eye. This has been Jake and Corey with contributions from Eric Thompson and Jacob Ayer. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful summer. The sun is shining. Just sit there and smile.